Colossians chapter 2 and verse 16 is where I want to go. I just want to ask you a question, a little sports question, all right? Sports, not trivia, really good stuff here. How many of you, now let's, guys, girls, let's just be honest. Can, I, can you be honest with me? I'm going to raise my hand, be the first one. How many of you at some point in your life dreamed of being a professional athlete? Raise your hand. Raise it up high. Come on. Now, how many of you became professional athletes? Anybody here? I mean, don't be bashful. Some of you probably have. A few hands maybe went up. Now, here's the, here's the moral to the story is um, I was told at some point I had potential. Not at golf or anything like that. Matter of fact, when I took golf lessons, after a couple of swings, my instructor asked me, are you, are you sure you're right-handed? <laughs> but that's another story <laughs> altogether. But um, I was told as a baseball player I had a little potential. Man, it kind of goes to your head, you hope, and, and, and you work hard. But I did not have the potential of being anything more than a, a good little leaguer or something like that. You know, uh, played in a, a maybe a, a little bit as I was a teenager. But I didn't have any more potential than that. Some of you maybe went to college and played. You had more potential than me. You know, some, one of the reasons why people do not receive the Lord into their heart and follow Him in their life is because once they feel like after they make that commitment to Christ, they don't have the potential to live it. And they've known too many people, maybe in the church, some of them really trying hard, that just did not live up to their potential and live like Jesus Christ. And so rather than become that hypocrite or become someone that struggles in their life, they want to make sure first they can live it before they make that kind of commitment. I'm here to share with you this morning, according to the book of Colossians and, by the way, many other passages in the Bible, if you are a believer in Jesus Christ, you already have all the potential you need to follow Jesus Christ and live the victorious Christian life. Now, let me show you in just a moment. Now, in this passage, in chapter 2, I'm not going to have time to go through these verses uh, verse by verse. just want to call your attention to one verse. Do not handle, do not taste, do not touch. Another reason why maybe some of you do not receive Christ is because of the legalisms in the church today. And certainly they've always been here. And legalisms come from basically guardians or barriers or circles of protection. Now, I have the sort of protection gene. You know, I guess you might say, I want to protect my family, my wife, my kids, my church. I want to warn you of things so you won't fall into them. And we often have that kind of protective thing in our own life. We say, well, you know, if we could just say this circle's the sin, and we don't want to do that. And so we put a circle around it to make sure we don't go there, to make sure we're not tempted. And that becomes kind of a legalistic thing in our life. Then we say, well, I don't even want to do that. In fact, the Bible may interpret even that as a sin. So I'm going to put another shield of protection around me, another circle, and I'm going to keep guarding myself. And that's fine if you want to guard yourself. In fact, it's probably a wise, smart thing to do. But we can't require everybody else to do that because when we do that, it's legalistic. And the danger of that is to say, well, with all these laws, now, now all of a sudden these become laws to us. We can't do that. You know, we, we, like we can't dance or something. You know, the question is, some people ask me, can Christians dance? Well, I can tell you the answer to that is very simple. Some can, some can't, you know. <laughs> but we, we can't do this, we can't do that. And and, and you can't listen to certain types of music. It may, may make you do this. 
Well, those things become unreasonable to us. And we say, I cannot possibly live up to that. Therefore, there's no need to even try. So we look at this passage, and we've been going over the book of Colossians and talking about uh, why we should follow Jesus Christ. After all, you've tried everything else maybe in life. Maybe like Solomon of the Old Testament where you've tried uh, pleasure and possessions and all kinds of fame and glory, and you've tried apathy. You've tried everything, and nothing really seems to work. So why not Jesus? Well, we've said because he's supreme. Book of Colossians chapter 1 says he's Lord, and he's the creator of the universe. He died on the cross for our sins, so he loves us with an everlasting love. Why? In fact, it just makes sense to follow him. Not only that, but he also gives us the wisdom to combat false beliefs in our life. We are what we believe. We behave like what we believe. Very important for you to have that kind of wisdom, but also the wisdom to make the right decisions. As we've said, there's a high school student here that's trying to decide on what college to go to. Uh, another college student, perhaps, and to say, well, I'm, I'm getting out of school and there's nothing open in my field. What am I going to do with my life? We have decisions to make. Who to marry, how many children to have, over and over and over again. You need wisdom to make life-changing type of decisions, and God gives us that wisdom. And matter of fact, let me just give you some guidelines here real quick, just kind of a, a free thing before the, the, the points come up in the passage. And that is, when you're trying to make a decision, ask yourself the question, is there a biblical command here? Because the laws of God, you know, God, God is a king. Jesus Christ is a king. He has a kingdom. Kingdoms always have rules and laws, and those obedience to those things, not the legalisms, are the keys to having wisdom and a great relationship with God. Is there a command for me to obey? Is there a principle for me to follow? Well, there's no command. What about a principle, a general principle in the Bible? But even sometimes there's not that. In fact, many times there's not. And so you ask yourself the question then, what is the wisest thing to do? Which brings us to the, our passage today. What is the wisest thing to do? Because he asked that question, and now he's beginning to apply that. To our Christian life because all the truth that we have really can be applied. It can be practiced in our life. And he looks at three things. He says, you have all the potential you need in order to accomplish what you need for God and to live the Christian life and to live the, Christ, live the Christian life in victory because you have a new place or position. You have a new power and you are a new person. The, the central verse of this, probably verse 10, and put on the new self which is renew, being renewed in knowledge after the image of his creator. You have a brand new person living inside of you, and we'll come to that in just a moment. But first, I want us to see the, the Christian believer, those who have really received the real Jesus in their heart, have a new place in life. Look with me in verse 1, verse one of chapter 3. If then, therefore, you have been raised with Christ. This gives the idea of verse 12 of chapter 2 when we're like when we're baptized, we're lowered into the water. And as we're lowered into the water, it's a, it's a way we kind of, a uh, uh, symbolism of dying to the old way of life. And we're raised to walk in a brand new way of life. Now, that's what happens to you when you get saved. When you and I receive Christ, we die to the old way of life. And we're raised to walk in a new way of life. And he says, if you've been raised with Christ, that is, if you're really a believer, he says, seek the things which are above where Christ is seated at the right hand of God. He says, seek not the things down here that are, that are temporary, but seek and keep your eyes and mind on the things eternal. Now, again, it, it doesn't mean 
that we necessarily have to be so uh, heavenly minded we're no earthly good. It, it doesn't mean that. It just means that you do not sacrifice the, on the, the permanent on the altar of the immediate. You, you know, the, the thing is what Satan says now in his wisdom, now, 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 you've got to have everything right now. You can't wait. You have to have it right now. We live in a society, it's called secular, but the only thing the word secular means is now. And so there is no eternity. Don't even think about eternity. There's no afterlife. No, all our justice is right here. All our blessings are right here. You just got to have it right now. But here in this passage, it teaches us that we do things from above. Why? Because Christ is seated at the right hand of God. The Bible teaches us that Jesus Christ died on the cross for your sins. And then he was raised again on the third day. And then sometime later, a few, several days later, he was raised up and he ascended into heaven. And the disciples saw that in Acts chapter 1. And the Bible says he was at that point seated at the right hand of God, according to Ephesians chapter 1 and verse 20. He was seated there and that's where he is today. Now, then the Bible says, you know, we talk about Jesus living in our heart. What is that all about? Well, we become a new, uh, with a brand new position, a new person in Christ because his Holy Spirit, Christ's Holy Spirit comes to live inside of our heart. Remember what he said in the Gospel of John when he said, look, it's important. He told his disciples, it's important that I go away because if I don't go away, I'm not going to be able to send my Holy Spirit to you. So the very moment that you and I receive Christ, we receive the Holy Spirit of God in our heart. But Christ is still, personally, a very important part of the whole equation because he's seated at the right hand of the Father. Now, here's what the book of Ephesians, which is considered sort of a companion book to Colossians. A lot of the same things are said in both books. He says in chapter 2, he says, um, But God, being rich in mercy because of his great love, with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, excuse me, made us alive together in Christ. How did he do that? By grace you're saved. He gave us his grace, but the very moment, again, as the book of Ephesians will explain two or three different passages, that the Holy Spirit of God came to live inside of us. But look at this. So that, or rather in in verse 6, and raised us up with him, seated us with him in heavenly places in Christ Jesus. Wow, what a verse. That's what Colossians is talking about here. He said, he goes on to say in these next few verses, set your minds on things above, not on the things of the earth. For you, why? Because you're dead. You died to the old way of life, and now your life is hidden with Christ in God. When Christ, who is our life, appears, then we will also appear with him in glory. Again, talking about the heavenly realm. But here's the catch. You and I, as it were, in our position, in our place, in our citizenship, are in heaven right now seated at the right hand of the Father. That's where Jesus is. And he says, we're seated with him in the heavenlies. What in the world does that mean? Well, mystically, it doesn't mean that I'm already there. I'm here. You're here. But in authority, it means that we have the authority of Christ right now in this life. His power to resist temptation. His power to do the right thing. The authority to claim answers to prayer in our life. He said, well, I'm not in heaven. I mean, I'm not face-to-face with God. And so, uh, therefore, I'm not in that position. The best way I can explain this is that Governor DeSantis is the governor of, uh, of Florida. 
And suppose, however, he was maybe here in Oviedo in the park, and you ran across Robin and say, wow, you, you know, you, you look familiar. And he told you who he was. And of course, you would then get out your laundry list of all your requests. You know, not really. But um, you would look at him and say, well, you're not the governor now. Well, no, no, I'm, I'm the governor. No, no, you, you are the governor when you're in the governor's mansion. You are the governor when you are in your office. But you're here in Oviedo now, and so you don't have the same authority. Well, no, he, he has the authority no matter where he is. Dear friend, we have that kind of spiritual authority even though we're still on earth now. That's where our authority comes from. That's where our power is located right there. And so it's been said, anything that's over, over our head is under Christ's feet. Dear friends, every circumstance of life that is over your head is also under your feet. That is the authority that you have in Jesus Christ. And he says, because of that, you're a brand new person in Christ. Notice what it says. He said, um, when Christ, who is your life, appears, you will also appear with him in glory. What a great promise from God. Therefore, he says, right back, seek those things which are above. Not right here on the earth. Jesus put it another way. He says, don't. Don't place your treasure in the things where moth and rust and people break into steel. He says, but put your treasure in heaven where those things can't steal it away because wherever your treasure is, that's where your heart's going to be also. We live for eternity. We realize not in the now. We realize there's a justice to come. We realize there's blessings to come. We, we know that we, as a Christian, we don't get all of our blessings here, even though love, joy, peace, long-suffering, gentleness, meekness, kindness, self-control, the way Galatians talks about it, and Paul talks about it in that book, we get all that, and we have the potential for all that because we're seated with Christ in the heavenlies, and we have the Holy Spirit in our heart. But there's blessings to come. And he says, lay up for yourself, how do you do that? Well, you do that by investing in the people that are going there. You invest in heaven by investing in the lives of people that are going there. How many times, and, and that means leading somebody to the Lord as well as discipling someone, helping them grow in Christ. But how many times do we make decisions in life with earthly wisdom? Because instead of trusting God with our future in this life and in the life to come, we make decisions based on fear that God will not come through for us. Fear that this is all there is. Fear that even though God has come through for so many people, he will not come through for us. I want you to know that you are seated at the right hand of the Father, just like Paul was when he was walking on the earth. Just like Billy Graham. Just like a lot of the other great saints of old. You're just in the same position that they are, and you have all the potential in the world to live the Christian life. Not only do we have that new place, but we do have a new power in Christ. Look with me in verse 5. Put to death, therefore, what is earthly in you, sexual immorality, impurity, passion, evil desires, and covetous, which is idolatry. Now you say, now wait a minute. This doesn't really make any sense. And the first time I ever read it, I, I in fact, for several times, Say, God, I don't understand this. You said, first of all, I'm dead. I'm dead to all that sin. Now you say, put it to death. Which one is it? Well, positionally, I am certainly 
dead in Christ or, or dead to sin. But in actuality, in practicing it out, I still have to practice what is already mine. I have to, therefore, apply what God has already given me. And there's a difference. The Bible says in verse 10, we have a new self. And what that is talking about is basically this. When you and I are not believers, we have one nature. And that is, it's natural for us to rebel. It's natural for us to figure out what to do on our own, even religious people. You're very religious. But yet, you make decisions a lot of times based on how it's going to make you feel, how guilty it's going to make you feel, or not guilty, or happy or not happy. And so, therefore, you, you really are wedded and addicted. We're addicted, in a sense, to wrong, to sin. It's natural for us to do it. But when you have the new man, the new self, you have two natures. And they war against one another. And that's what they call, we call in the Bible, spiritual warfare. They're coming together. Every day, you start making decisions on what to do, the right or the wrong, the right or the wrong. And, and most of the time, because you're a believer, you're going to line up on the side of the right. Sometimes you fall. And so what's the difference? The best way I can understand, understand this myself, and I'll pass this on to you, is a documentary I saw on television a few years ago. And it was about heroin addiction. And if you know anything about heroin addiction, uh, as far as I know and what I know about it, it really only takes like what one time to really get you hooked uh, if you're going through the shots. And so uh, the needles. So uh, people are addicted to this stuff, and it just crawls all over them when they can't do it. They go into convulsions. So they did an experiment. And they took addicts, and they put them to sleep really in a coma for three days because it takes three days to get the heroin completely out of your system. And so they showed film of them just briefly of going into convulsions and, and their body jerking everywhere, but they didn't know that because they were in a coma. Well, they came out of the coma, and they were no longer physically addicted, but they were mentally still involved in it. They remembered how it made them feel. Yeah, they remembered their, their group of friends that they hung out with in order to do that, and they still hung out with them. They remembered so many things about it. Now, here's the difference. When you and I have one nature, it's very natural for us to sin. We're, it's like we're addicted. But once we get saved, the real addiction is gone, and now we have a choice. Before, we had a choice, but, but the addiction was so strong to wrong that we were drawn back to it in whatever weaknesses we had in our life. Now we have a choice. We don't have to do it anymore. But we remember sometimes. We're emotionally attached. I know of people that have shared with me, and I remember this guy back in my first church, and I, I knew even as a young 25-year-old pastor, this guy's in trouble. All he could talk about was the good old days before he, he got saved, you know, the good old days, the times when he was rebellious, the times that he almost lost his family. And he eventually lost his family because he went right back into it. He's emotionally attached. But you and I have the power through this new self because of the power of the Holy Spirit living within inside of us. Now, notice it says that you're putting away sexual immorality and purity. Other places in the Bible really says to us, if we practice these things, we will not inherit the kingdom of God, 1 Corinthians 6, 9. And so he's talking that time to people that probably are not believers, so if you practice these things, but here, you know, there's another possibility here. There's a possibility. Maybe they didn't know these were wrong, or maybe they slipped back into them. Maybe there's a temptation here 
But it seems like what he's saying is he's warning them. He says, don't do these things. He says, let me tell you this. He said, this is how bad it is. It's idolatry. He says in verse 6, on account of these things, the wrath of God is coming. He says, wow, you know, that's, pastor, that's uh, <clears throat> hellfire and brimstone, right? Well, let me just say this, that Paul had that um, parental protection gene, I guess, in him. All through all of his works, his writings, we will find warning after warning after warning why he was concerned. He was concerned about this church. And if he could, he couldn't, and I can't, but if he could, he would have scared them straight. Scared them to death. But you can't. But, you know, it reminds me of uh, Jack McGorman, who, Dr. McGorman, who was uh, one of my New Testament professors back in seminary, um, told, tells a story. He says, you can only use a rat trap one time. And I was interested in that story because I was in seminary housing and I had to battle those, those little buddies all the time. But he said, um, he said, a rat will only fall for the trap one time. Once it's used, no other rat will go, go around that trap. So you have to use a new one. Why? Because no matter how much you clean that trap, they'll smell the blood of, and death on that trap and they won't go near it. Then Dr. McGorman sums it up by saying, I wish we were as humans and as believers in Christ as smart as the rat. You know, think about it. One decision ruined your family. One decision, like Adam made, ruined all of mankind. Decisions, unwise decisions you make could devastate your life. Why wouldn't I not warn you about that? I remember in my first church, I preached a message. Never will forget it. Calculate the cost. Don't remember anything about the message. As most of my first messages, um, most people would say. Calculate the cost. When I left that church and came here, a guy told me, he said, you know that sermon you preached there? And back then I did remember a little bit about it. He said, that sermon changed my life. It kept me from doing anything now and in the future. Just the warning to it all, the devastation it would cause in my life. So see, you and I, we, we need Jesus Christ. Why follow Jesus? He's going to keep us away from the ways of destruction. Because there's a, a new power, a new grace that's in our life. And we need to, to put away these things. No, notice what else it says. I need to move quickly here. And these two you once walked when you were living in them. He said, this is what you used to be. You're not that guy anymore. You're a new creation in Jesus Christ. Verse 8, by, but now you must put away all of them, anger, wrath, malice, slander, obscene talk from your mouth. Again, we, we've said that the rules, the laws of God are to give us a great relationship with him as we obey him, but also a good relationship with other people as well. He says, you can put away these things. You can get rid of these things by following Jesus Christ. How? The power of the Holy Spirit in your life. The power of the Holy Spirit. The Bible says the power of God will come over you, the power of the Spirit. He says, you will be my witnesses unto the rest of the world. The power that lives within you helps you to overcome it. But not only that, to give, it gives you something better. 
Listen, if you knew, if you and I knew the consequences of some of the things we think about doing, and sometimes we do, Satan just never reminds us of it. But we'd think about that. We'd think, oh, man, I'd lose this, I'd lose this. But the fruit of the Spirit, love, joy, peace, long-suffering, gentleness, meekness, kindness, self-control. Hey, listen, when you, those are the things we really want in life. Think about it. Don't you want those things? Sure. And we go off the rails and we lose those things. And that's where many Christians are today. They're not too far off the rails, just enough to lose the victory in their life. So lastly, we come to a new person. I come finally to verse 10 once again. And you put on the new self, which is being renewed in knowledge after the image of his creator. He says, you've got a new man, but it's being renewed. It's, yes, a position, but then you've got to have some practical growth and grow into that position as well. The analogy really is outside clothing. You know, we, um, we often dress like what we feel on the inside, what we want to project, and it tells something about us. You have a fireman's outfit on, people know that you're a fireman. You have a police outfit on, a military outfit on, they know that's where you're coming from. Uh, maybe some of you wear a coat and a tie, and you, we know that you're going maybe for a sales or a, some kind of business presentation. You know, you wear uh, jeans and just an old T-shirt. Maybe you want to look cool, you know. Or you want to be cool in Florida, whichever the case is. But we have this going on on the outside. He says, put on, put on Christ. You say, well, how do I grow into that? I love the illustration. I, I've given many times to young people like at our Awanas or Upward basketball, but really we have these two natures. It's like the old story of the Eskimo in Alaska. He'd come down from the mountain every Saturday, and he had a white dog and a black dog, and they'd fight. People would bet on which one was going to win. Sometimes a white dog, sometimes a black dog would win. Nobody really knew, but the, but the Eskimo always won the bets. So one young boy asked him one time, how do you know? You always know which one's going to win. The white dog or the black, you always know. How do you know? He said, that's the easiest, the one I feed all week. And you see, that's how you gain the victory. The word of God is already, it's already in, you're already in a position. You already have the potential. Maybe not to be the baseball player, the basketball player, and the NBA, or a golfer on the PGA Tour, but you have the potential Every single person here has a potential to grow in Christ and have victory and the fruit of the Spirit in your life and to make an impact on all those around you. How did you grow into that? Through the Word of God, feeding, feeding the new self and starving the old self. What you putting on? Well, you've got that potential. And those of you who don't know Christ, you don't know Him as your Savior and Lord, maybe we have some upward players here, you're, you're small, and I know that you've got to, you know, kind of consult with your parents on some things, but, you know, you, you can also look at it for yourself. Many of you are old enough. Some of you that are our guests, some of you that are on online television, are, do you know that Jesus Christ lives in you? Is it because that you're afraid you're not going to be able to live it? Is it because of the legalisms that God has nothing to do with at all? What is it in your life that's keeping you from receiving Jesus Christ into your heart? 
I love the illustration. I just uh, didn't share it in the first hour, but I thought about it in between, about putting on things. In Los Angeles, California, several years ago, there was a, uh, a police officer that stopped a motorist. And um, as he was pulling up, he got out. He didn't know that there was a pile of money in a satchel right beside because the man had just robbed a convenience store. True story. So he rolled down the window. The police officer said, can I have your license, please? please. The man took a gun and put two slugs right into the chest of that police officer. He falls back. And then a moment later, he gets up. He brushes himself off, pulls his gun out, arrests the man. He had a Kevlar vest on, bulletproof vest. Almost the same time, certainly the same day, Ray Hicks was making a bust, he and his partner, and he knocked on the door, announced who he was, and three slugs came, three bullets came through the door into Ray Hicks' chest, and he fell down dead. About 50 yards away from that scene, front door of that house was Ray Hicks Kevlar vest in the back seat of the patrol car he had all the potential in the world to protect his life but he didn't put the vest on see it's not enough to know about the things of Christ you got to put him on it's not enough to just knowing it in your head you got to know Christ in your heart so if you've never done that today why, why not today why not Jesus today? Let's bow for prayer. And as we just bow in prayer for just a moment with heads bowed and eyes closed, if the condition of your heart is that and the desire, desire of your heart is to receive Christ, then I want to pray a prayer with you. And I, I prayed something like it when I was a teenager and I received Christ into my life. And the words are not, the exact words are not the most important thing. It's the condition of your heart. Do you want Jesus this morning? If you do, I challenge you, whether you're here or watching at home, to pray this prayer with me right now. You can pray it silently if you'd like as I pray aloud. Lord God, thank you so much for loving me. Thank you, Lord, for going to the cross and dying there for my sins. I open up the door of my heart and I ask you, Lord, to come in. I put you on, as it were. And I ask you to lead me in the wisdom of God. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Thanks for listening. You can find more sermons and other information at crosslifechurch.com.